Before this morning's scripture is read, I want to put it in some context for us so we can catch even more of the depth of its meaning. The disciples of Jesus had experienced a tumultuous four days, just four days. It began on Thursday night. Jesus is arrested during a late night prayer session in a garden. Most of the disciples run away, hiding in the darkness. Jesus is taken from the garden to the high priest's home for a trial, really a mock trial. Peter and John sneak in and watch. Then Jesus is taken from the high priest's home to the Roman governor's palace, the home of Pilate, who tries to set him free. But the temple leadership insists that he be crucified. When Pilate discovers that Jesus originally is from Galilee, he sends him to Herod, who happens to be in Jerusalem at the time, for the Passover celebration. Jesus is then sent back to Pilate, who ultimately caves in to the pressure of the temple leaders, has him flogged, and then crucified. Jesus dies late Friday afternoon, and his body is taken down from the cross and it's placed in a tomb that's been borrowed. There's no report given about what the disciples did from sundown on Friday through Saturday night. But then on Sunday morning, some of the women discover that the tomb is empty. That news is confirmed by Peter and John, who run to check it out for themselves. The prevailing thought is that Jesus' body has been taken away. Mary Magdalene returns to the tomb for a second time. A short time later, she runs back to the disciples to tell them that she has seen Jesus. He has spoken to her. He is alive. Then the news comes from Peter that he has seen Jesus alive. Then two disciples who are totally out of breath from running the seven miles from Emmaus report that they had walked with Jesus for several miles on their journey home. He had come into their home for supper. It was only then that they realized who he was. He truly is alive. This is where we begin this morning with the scripture text. From Thursday night to Sunday evening is the span of time we have covered. The two from Emmaus return to Jerusalem and report their experience with the risen Christ to the other followers of Jesus. Emily Kobus, a freshman in high school who is into art and theater, with the Riz will, will read for us. Listen to her as she reads. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have these flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did still not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, 
This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with with the power from on high. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Thank you, Emily, for reading today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see you and your Son and your Holy Spirit who are present with us. Open our hearts to believe and receive what you have for us this day. Open our minds to understand. And open our lives to be about your will in our living. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mary Magdalene was overwhelmed by grief because of Jesus' death and what she thought was the stealing of his body. Her grief blinds her to his presence and overwhelmed in the moment when Jesus calls her name Mary, she sees. He's there in the garden with her. Her eyes were opened. The two walking to Emmaus were overcome by disappointment. They had hoped that Jesus would be the Redeemer of Israel. Their disappointment blinded them to his presence that was only overwhelmed when Jesus broke bread at supper They saw his hands. In that moment, their eyes were opened. Now, the disciples have been gathered in Jerusalem, basically hiding. The two from Emmaus have joined them. Dr. Luke writes that Jesus appears in their midst and that they were startled and frightened. Startled and frightened. Being startled and frightened is another source of blindness in life. This is noted, as Dr. Luke writes, that they were, quote, thinking they saw a ghost, unquote. How would you be if what you thought you saw was a ghost? Oh, come on. Like them, you'd be scared to death. So the question is, what is needed to open their eyes to the reality that Jesus is truly present with them, that he really is risen from the dead? Follow along as we walk through this text that Emily just read for us. The first thing Jesus does is calm their hearts. Being startled, being frightened can blind us. Being startled or surprised and frightened initiates a response in us. And every single one of us in this room has a default response to fear and startlement. Every one of us. You've heard two of these if you had any classes in psychology or sociology. The first is this. Fight. Fight 
When something startles you or causes fear to overcome, you go straight to the cause of the surprise or the fear. You address it head on. Very few people have this default. This was Peter's response in the garden when Jesus was arrested. He took out his sword and he cut off the high priest's ear, high priest's servant's ear. His default response was to run at the problem and face it and take some measure of control. So fight is one response we have. A second is flight. Turn and run as fast as you can. And remember, you don't have to be the fastest person in the group running away. You only have to be faster than the slowest person who's running away. (laughs) Many people have this default response. This was the response of one of Jesus' followers in that same garden on that same night when he was arrested. Mark's gospel tells us, and I quote, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked leaving his garment behind, Mark 14, 51, 52. Some comics have said that's one of the first streakers of the Bible. The third response you won't find expressed in psychology or sociology, and I'm stunned at that because I think this is where most people live their lives. They don't fight. They don't flee. They freeze. Freeze. You do nothing. You go nowhere. The initial response is to have no response, but you're stunned and you're stuck. It can be described this way. Something surprises you or brings you fear. You're taken aback. Only after several minutes or several hours, when reflecting on it, do you have the response you wish you had done, the thing you had done or something you had said. Has anybody else besides me ever had that response? Oh, if I'd only been prepared for that moment. I had one such moment that I was prepared for. I was driving a school bus in Chicago I was the only Gentile on Airy Crown Hebrew Day School, which is next to North Park and Von Steuben High School. And uh, so Rabbi Shapiro and I got to be very good friends. I was his bus driver. I would pick up these kids on the Lakeshore Drive in these high-rise apartments. Most of them hadn't said their prayers yet in the morning, so every time I turned the bus, they had to turn another way so they were facing Jerusalem. A couple times I just drove around the block to see them spin. We had a good time together, me and the kids. It was great. It was great. I was driving down Western Avenue. I had three kids on the bus at the time, and all of a sudden, a big 18-wheeler pulled out onto the street and caught the front corner of the bus and set it up on the two left wheels, ready to tip. I didn't even think about it. Because my father had prepared me as a kid when I began to drive by saying, if you ever go up on two wheels, turn into the ground. And so I did. I didn't even think. I can't take any credit for it. I give my dad the credit for that. May he rest in peace. And the bus came back down. The entire right side of the bus was taken off by the spring steel bumper of the 18-wheeler. Nobody was hurt. 
and the bus stayed on four wheels eventually without tipping over. Sometimes you can know ahead of time what needs to be done, and that's helpful, but so often you don't. Things catch us by surprise. So it was with the disciples. And so Jesus addresses their fear with this greeting, peace be with you. In other words, he was saying to them, shalom. May this peace overwhelm you. May this peace astound you. May this peace cover the startlement and the fear that you have. He began by seeking to comfort their hearts with shalom. Then to open their eyes more fully, Jesus said, look. And then he said, touch. And then he said, give me something to eat. You can't touch a ghost. Ghosts don't eat as far as we know, and we're not going to check it out. I am real. I am alive. It's really me. Look, touch, and eat with me. He was helping them and calming their heart. Then to open their heart and their minds more fully, Jesus opens the scriptures like he had done on the road to Emmaus with the two that he had traveled with earlier that day. And beginning in Luke 24, verse 45, we read, Then he, that is Jesus, opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. That's a covenant line we've taken straight from the word of God. Where is it written? What does it say? What does the Bible reveal to us? It is the only perfect rule, we say, of faith, doctrine, and conduct. What we believe, what we teach, and how we live. What does it say? What does it mean? How is it to be understood? He told them this is what is written, and he gives four statements at the end of the reading that Emily read for us this morning. The first is this. The Messiah will suffer, will die, and will rise from the dead on the third day. The disciples had seen him suffer. The disciples had seen him die. And now they are seeing him alive. Jesus had told them this would happen. In fact, he told them on three separate occasions, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. Listen to what Mark writes in his gospel the third time that Jesus tells his disciples weeks before this happened. We are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus is speaking. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Mark 10, 33 to 34. You know what I think they heard? I think they heard, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Blah, 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 blah. I didn't hear anything else after that. How often does that happen in our lives where we hear something and the first thing startles us and we don't hear the rest, especially the last sentence. Three days later, he will rise. Three times Jesus told this to his disciples. They didn't get it. We are disciples. I want to say to you as a fellow disciple, many times, Very many times, we don't get it. 
we tend to argue and squabble over all the wrong things and not the things that really matter to the teaching of the Scriptures. Jesus is trying to open the Scriptures to them so they will understand what really matters the most. He goes on to say the prophet Isaiah told, foretold his suffering and death hundreds of years earlier. Listen to these three verses just from Isaiah 53. And there are hundreds of verses we could read from the Old Testament, from the prophets. He was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Or verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and he was the lamb, the lamb of God. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Or verse 9, he was assigned to a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 9, and to fulfill this, not only had Jesus told them, not only had Mark written about this Jesus telling them, not only had I, the prophet said something, but listen to the psalm. Psalm 16. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Psalm 16.10. In hindsight now, the disciples are hearing what Jesus is saying to them. He's remembering that he told them and what they had heard since childhood from the scriptures when they were read in the synagogues all over Israel, where they came from. So yes, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now they remember. Now it connects. Jesus went on to say, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Luke twenty four forty seven. You see, Jesus came because of the love of God for the people of his creation. He came for all people. He came to redeem lost and sinful people. They had seen this in how Jesus interacted, especially with those who had been cast aside by the religious elite. You know, the religious people who have it down and who look down on the irreligious people. Jesus offered forgiveness everywhere he went, total forgiveness. Exampled most clearly when he was on the cross, and his hands are like this, which is the right position for someone who is embracing the world, to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do we know what we're doing? Do we? We need each other's help. We need God's help. We need the Spirit's help in our life. We need the Scripture's help in our life to know what we're doing. Now they're hearing from Jesus that forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed not just to the chosen people of Israel, but to all nations. And I know what they heard from that was what they remember as a child, as in the Scriptures it was read constantly for them. The promise and the charge given to Abram is being fulfilled in Jesus. Listen to what the Lord told Abram from Genesis 12.3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's our role. 
to bless people, all people. Jesus continued, you are witnesses of these things. And they are. They've experienced Jesus and the teachings he had blessed people with for three years. They had good memories. They'd had wonderful times. They also saw how Jesus forgave sins of people he encountered on their travels. While these words of forgiveness by Jesus had stirred up trouble, they also stirred up a sense of hope and joy and life in the people they were spoken to who had been excluded from the community. I wonder what they thought now about hearing that Jesus is the means by which sins are forgiven for all creation, all peoples on earth. Everyone may have their sins forgiven. This was new. What did it mean? What did it mean for them? What does it mean for us? Jesus did not tell them at that point. Instead, he concluded, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city, that is Jerusalem, until you've been clothed with power from on high. The promise Jesus is referring to is the promise he made of the Holy Spirit coming. Jesus had told them about the Holy Spirit much earlier, prior to his crucifixion. That's a sermon series coming later. The disciples had seen the power of God in Jesus by his powerful teaching, the power of his healings, the power that raised people from death, and now the power of his own resurrection. But the key here is that this power is not pursued, it's bestowed. It is given from on high, and their role is to wait, to stay in the city until. Okay, how does this apply to us now, today? Simply, these three things. Let us be about the study of the scripture. I mean, serious study of the scripture. Reading it is wonderful. Studying it is more wonderful. To really begin to understand. And let us study it together. I can read and study the Bible on my own. I have a lot of tools. But nothing blesses me more than studying it with other people who have different insights, different understandings, different explanations, different stories that they have lived and stories to tell to give it life and meaning practically from their experience. Studying the scriptures together is absolutely essential. In the scriptures we, we study, we discover along with the Apostle John that perfect love casts out fear, fear that blinds us. Perfect love casts out fear. Whose love is that? Is that my love? Well, I can tell you, no. My love isn't good enough. Carolyn will tell you when we were planting flowers on Friday that I was a bear. I barked too much about what I thought we were doing. My love is not good enough. It's as we begin to understand from the scripture that God's love for us is perfect. His love is perfect. It's complete. It lacks in nothing. That is the love that casts out fear. How can we know God's love? Not by talking about it, not by wishing for it, but by studying the scriptures. We see it acted out over and over and over in almost every circumstance that life can bring to people. And as we do that, we begin to know this heavenly father of ours is a perfect loving father. Father. 
better than any father we could have hoped for or had. This casts out fear and gives us confidence and hope. That's the first. Study the scriptures together. Now, we're entering what I would call a terrible time of the year. I like summer. But we kind of ease up in summer. Have you noticed that historically? Today is the last day for two adult classes, and next Sunday is the last day for the third one. The kids' Sunday school program is over for the summer. It's a terrible time of the year. So, now's the time for you and me to grab a hold of a couple friends, people that we care about, people that we relate to, and say, can we study the scripture together a couple times this summer? Let's read a book of the Bible and talk about it. See what it has to say. Let's take responsibility for our own growth as followers of Jesus Christ. We come from a pietist heritage. Now, there are some in the church that say we come from a Swedish heritage. You're talking genetics now. You're not talking faith. When it comes to faith, we come from a pietistic heritage. And a pietistic heritage is all about taking responsibility for your faith. Let's be responsible this summer and do this with one or two or three other people and do the scriptures together. Doesn't matter which ones you pick, they all have something for us. Take charge of your life of faith and study the scriptures. Second, pray for God to have his way for you and with you together. I like praying alone. One of the things I do at night is I pray alone. Carolyn's next to me in the bed. She's usually asleep already. And I spend a little time praying, and sometimes I fall asleep praying. That's the best night of sleep I usually ever get. But praying together with someone is an amazing experience of the presence of God. I mean, though, real prayer. Most prayer is, I'm talking, God's listening. Have you ever noticed that? I have a list. I'm a list guy. So God... Here's my list. I would like this. I would like that. I'd like that person healed. I'd like that person to come to Christ. And on it goes. I have a long list. And then I say amen and I go on and do something else. I've only done half a prayer. Because a real prayer is a conversation. And the conversation part we miss usually is the part where we say, Okay, God, I've got that off my chest now and off my mind. What do you have to say to me and then be silent and listen listen he gave us two ears and how many mouths there's the ratio he wants us to listen to him you can listen in the reading of the scriptures And you can't do this prayer effectively without the study of scriptures. But as you do that and as you pray and you listen in silence, God puts on your heart things of importance, direction you may be wondering about, or things you haven't even thought of. He expresses them to you. But if we're not listening, we'll never hear. So study the scriptures, pray to God to have his way with you. And third, wait Wait for God's power to clothe you with power 
as a witness for forgiveness and life through Jesus. That's the empowerment God is talking about, that we become a forgiving people, that we become a witness people to the love of God for humanity. That's the power, not the power to affect change in someone's life. That's his responsibility. But the power in his spirit to love them, to forgive them if necessary, to do whatever we can to show them what God's love is all about. It's in the study of the word and the speaking and listening of prayer that God speaks to us. Wait for him to speak. And as we wait, he will empower us by his Holy Spirit. There is nothing more profound than the empowerment of his Holy Spirit to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is loving. And if we do that together, God will bring revival, not just to the church, more importantly, to the community in which we live and the people we work with and go to school with the people in our neighborhoods. And that is the mission of God in our world. May it be a mission we buy into completely. Amen. Let us pray. Father, give us a compassion and a passion to study the scriptures. Give us the discipline to not only speak to you in prayer, but to listen to you diligently in prayer. And give us patience to keep studying and praying and waiting for you to empower us with your way, your will, your love, your forgiveness, your message about your Son, Jesus the Christ, to our world. We pray this in his name. Amen.